Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, welcome back to the show today. Uh, we have the normal cast in the studio, except for Pastor Phil, but we do have uh, Pastor Alan Burrow filling in for him. How are you doing today, brother? Doing great. So glad that you could be back with us. Glad to be here. Yeah. And we are talking about the Reformation because there's that great holiday coming up on the 31st of this month, which is not Halloween, but it is Reformation Day. It's the day that Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the door in Wittenberg. And uh, so we have been working our way slowly through the five solas, and we're on the second sola, which is sola gratia. Um, and so let's just dive right into it. So when the Protestants were protesting against Rome, this issue of of grace and how it relates to our salvation uh, rose to the fore. And um, I think a lot of evangelicals who maybe aren't nuanced in, in the debate think, well, R- Rome believes that, you know, we're saved by works. Protestants believe that we're saved by faith. And so we have a theology of grace and Rome doesn't have a theology of grace, but that's just not true. Um, Rome believes in grace and Protestants believe in grace, but there is an important difference between those two views, those two Mm -hmm. beliefs. So what is grace according to Rome and what is grace according to the reformers? I think, I think that maybe the simplest way of saying it is that, is that the church of Rome sees grace almost as a commodity, um, something that is quantifiable with regard to that, um, there's a repository of, of grace where the reformers say that grace is a disposition of, of God, that grace is not a, a quantity per se, but who God is and what God um, provides for us in grace is an essence himself, um, not some substance. And I think that's probably the, the main divide between Protestants and Catholics. Yeah, I mean, there's been kind of the tradition within the Church of Rome that grace goes on an individual the way that paint would go on a post, you know, and therefore it doesn't matter uh, condition of the individual, you're putting a substance on them, whereas um, the reformational view was, as you say, it's, it's, it's the love of God being expressed in unmerited favor toward us, particularly in the gift of, of God's Son. And by giving us his Son, the Father is giving us himself, the Spirit is giving us himself. I mean, God is giving himself to us through, through the gift of his Son, and that unmerited favor is given to us through his love. And it's not something that we can dispense the way you would dispense food or a liquid or some kind of a... Uh, commodity. And along with that, uh, the Church of Rome saw the function of the church as being a me- 
mediator, somebody who is handing out God's grace, deciding who's going to get God's grace, whereas the teaching of the New Testament is there's only one mediator, that's Jesus. The church is ministerial. It's ministering, um, but it's not a mediator that's doling out God's grace and deciding who gets it. And I think the other side of this is the whole idea of that grace the grace of God is sovereign. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that really has two implications. The first is that God's grace then actually saves. Mm-hmm. Um, it's effectual. Um, it's not uh, God has grace. And, and hypothetically. Then, and then we have to cooperate with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that it was one of the teachings of the Church of Rome, which unfortunately so many in the Protestant circles today have now embraced. Yeah. There's a certain um, evangelical understanding of that that would suggest that God God is going to grant you grace if you're good enough. Yeah. If you if you do the right things, that, well, if you're trying, yeah. then He'll supply the rest. And it's it's also kind of cultic too, because that's the very message that you often hear in in the cults: is you do you do your best, and then God will supply the rest. And that's mm-hmm. the way they like you were saying. It's like a commodity that is given that's added to uh, things. And the the problem is is if we if we reject the idea of grace alone, we're we're rejecting the only idea that can save us. We're, you know, the alternative to sola gratia is a, a gospel that depends on your goodness instead of God's grace. Yeah. There was a famous book um, written during the Reformation. So it was Luther engaging with Erasmus, uh, a book called The Bondage of the Will. You can get it today. And Erasmus kind of took the, the classic Roman Catholic position. Luther took the view of the Protestants where the will um, is so in bondage to sin um, that it cannot, is not able to choose God. In fact, a couple of verses just come to mind. Romans 8, uh, verses 7 and 8 is that the mind that is set in the flesh uh, cannot please God. It, it, it doesn't say it will not please God. It says it cannot. That that word mm-hmm. speaks about ability. Uh, same thing in 1 Corinthians two fourteen. It says the natural man does not um, accept the things of the spirit for they are spiritually discerned. So Luther in this book, The Bondage of the Will, he took the position that um, in order for a person to come to a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God must act first. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rasmus's position was essentially, well, he, God does act first in, in one sense, but then it, it requires man to then cooperate with mm-hmm. that grace of God, and then salvation is wrought. And so maybe maybe the way to maybe test yourself, if mm-hmm. you're listening right now, where do you fall on this spectrum? Because what the reformers were saying is that when Jesus says a man must be born again in John 3, he's saying that a person is born again by the Holy Spirit, by pure grace, and then he comes to believe the gospel. Whereas the opposite view is that, oh, we believe, and then that believing enables the new birth to come. Those are two totally different views. And I think you have to also include within all of this is that if God's grace is sovereign, then that grace also has a choice, that, that God is making a choice. Um, that we're not the decider, we're not the one that's that's making the choice. God has set His affection, His grace, His favor on a particular object, and um, 
It's not that God's grace is is generic, that's widespread, and God's just up up in heaven, just wringing his hands, hoping and hoping and hoping that someone yeah. is going to choose him. Right. Um, the idea of the scripture is that no, God's grace is a sovereign grace yeah. that is effectual and specific. Yeah. I think, uh, uh, unfortunately, a lot of times, um, even uh, sincere Christians hear the the biblical kind of a message of of God's of the necessity that God acts sovereignly in salvation, and they picture God kind of like a hockey goalie that you've got all these uh, people who want to come to Christ, but God's going to keep them from coming and only let through the ones that he wants. But that's not the position that uh, Scripture presents. It presents one where left to themselves, no one would come because the nature of the fall, the the grip, the stranglehold of sin and death is such that it turns our fallenness into a kind of an antipathy, a hostility, an aversion to God, not just some kind of a neutrality from God, yeah. but an aversion. And that you referenced uh, Romans 8. I mean, Paul talks about that. Mm-hmm. And so salvation has to deal with the actual problem. Yeah. And if the problem is a kind of cancer that prevents people from acknowledging that they have the cancer— that they can't even recognize it, they can't even cooperate in any way with their treatment because they will just reject it, then part of the treatment has to deal with that problem or it's not a treatment, it's not a salvation. And so that's one of the reasons why God takes so long in the Old Testament and the long and torturous history of Israel. It's not just to show God's way of bringing the Messiah and and how he... Uh, brings the Messiah, it's also to demonstrate the full nature of the problem, that even the leaders of God's people end up being the ones who take the lead in judicially framing him and pressuring the Romans, Pilate of all people, to crucify him when Pilate didn't want to. You know, he shows us the full grip of the problem, and then we begin to see why God must intervene. If he loves us, you know, he must intervene. And I think really this whole sola about grace alone boils down to do we really have a true biblical view of our own fallenness? Um, And if we truly understand um, how unable we are to do anything that's good, I mean, I think this is wrestling with Romans 3. I think this is wrestling with the idea of Romans 8. I think this is this whole idea of knowing that we're, as Ephesians says, that we're dead in our sins and our trespasses. That when we begin to begin to truly know um, how fallen we are and how dead in sin we are, how unable to please helpless. God and helpless we are, it's only then that we recognize that, that there's nothing we can do to cooperate. We, there's nothing in us that it has to be all of God, or as Jonathan said earlier, we're doomed. Yeah, right. the, the, it goes. You know, it, we need to take up the very Christian language of and biblical language of being born again. Yeah. None of us, none of us had anything to do with the, our first birth. None of us will have anything to do with that second birth. It's yeah. all of God. That's the yeah. gracious act of God, right. which 
transforms the heart, which yeah. uh, makes us new. Yeah. And uh, if if and also this whole matter of of grace is the very thing that gives us assurance of our salvation. Yeah. If it was up to me, you know, what assurance do I have since everything I've done in my whole life has been tainted by sin? How can we have confidence that some decision that I made some years back um, was effective? How can I know that I'm saved? Yeah. Uh, it's only by God's grace. Yeah, so it has an immediate effect in terms of assurance, for sure. Like, if we believe that we weren't good enough before uh, God saved us to be a Christian, why would we think we're good enough now that God would keep us as a Christian? There's this great song, John Newton wrote Amazing Grace, the one line in it, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." I think that's one of the most overlooked lines in all of the songs that we ever mm -hmm. sing. Grace taught my heart to fear, yeah, mm -hmm. because God could have passed you over. Mm-hmm. And he didn't. He chose to love you and, and bring you into his flock. And then it says, and grace, my fears relieved. So this, this idea does have huge ramifications in our everyday life. And I think we have to recognize that we're saved by God's grace and we live by God's grace. Mm -hmm. um, we don't just come to a saving knowledge of, of God because of his gracious work. The whole entire Christian life is We're kept by grace. Yeah, is defined by our reliance mm -hmm. upon grace, which is just another way of saying our reliance and dependence upon God and His work of His of His Son and Spirit. And and so sometimes I think we forget um, that grace saves, but also grace sustains. And sanctifies. And sanctifies. And motivates. It mm -hmm. mo actually motivates holiness. It motivates love. It motivates all those virtues in the Christian life that God is actually aiming at. It, it is actually what brings about gratefulness. A heart yes. that a heart yeah. that believes that I've cooperated with God to save me is a heart that is not very grateful. Absolutely. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We will continue this uh, series tomorrow. We'll see you then. 